Jonathan Majors. I'm shirtless. Here you go, Adam. Wow. Jonathan Majors shirtless. His muscles are very pronounced. Amazing. We are here today to talk about something that is one of my most anticipated things of the year and is now one of my favorite things of the year, for sure. It is the latest and most expensive show ever made, the Amazon series. The latest and most expensive show. The Amazon series, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Or is it Rings of Power? I don't know. Is there a the? It's The Rings. It's The Lord of the Rings, rings, The Rings of Power. The Rings of Power. I think Jeffrey Bezos has them all. He has all the rings. He's like Thanos. Yeah. He's got the one ring to rule them all. He's real real life Lex Luthor. And in the darkness, bind them. Yes. Every time I see a clip of him walking down like a Manhattan sidewalk, he's just (laughs) more and more Lex Luthor. He's like extremely buff. And it's so funny because if you look at videos of... Yeah. He's, uh, Jeff. On, he's on steroids. <laughs> 20 years ago, he was like a regular dude. Yeah. Now he's a super villain. Jeffy Bezos. Yeah, okay. So we're talking about Lord of the Rings. Let's jump into it. Gabe, ask me who we have with us today. Who's with us today, Stephen? My wife. My wife. The joke's a- never not funny. Alice Allie Burnett. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for back. having me. Welcome you're, back. You're welcome. In my house. Yeah. Back. <laughs> <laughs> this will be an interesting episode as well, I should say, because we're going to be uh, recording it right before we record the Game of Thrones uh, House of the Dragon episode. So there might be a, some comparisons, which is hard not to do because both of these shows dropped at the same time. We had two amazing fictional fantasy works happening simultaneously, and everyone in the world was comparing them to each other. But Gabe, can you run us through the cast really quick? I can do that, Steve. Thank you. It's a bit of an ensemble of small names, of low men, as they say. Wow. Led by Morphid Clark as Galadriel. Uh, Wait, her name is Morphid? Her name is literally Morphid with two Ds. It's insane. You can look at it as I'm showing it to you. It sounds like a Lord of the Rings character. Morphid. Morphid. I think it's just, I don't know. Well, She's great. We also have Ismail Cruz Cordova as a Rondier. Nice. The Elven Ranger. Yep. Charlie Vickers as Halbrand. Yep. Host of Hobbits. Nori Brandyfoot is played by Markella Kavanaugh. Poppy is Megan Richards. Marigold, Sarah, okay. Zhuang Gobani. (laughs) We're just, we're going all out today. Sadek was Lenny Henry. We also have Queen of the Numenorians, Queen Muriel, hmm. Regent, played by Cynthia Adai Robinson, a stranger, a mysterious stranger who comes to the Harfoots, played by Daniel Wayman. Fallen from the heavens, eh? Captain Elendil is played by Lloyd Owen. I mean, how far into this cast do you want? Just like the main ones. Who's the girl that is the guy's... Love interest? Yeah. Bronwyn is played by Nazanin Bonai, Boniadi, Boniadi. You should probably throw out Adar and Theo also. Yeah. Theo is Tyro Muhafidin. Um, Valandil, Alex Tarant. And Gio Elrond. Nori's father, Largo, is played by Dylan Smith. We have Elrond, who is played in this version of our beloved mythos by Robert Aramayo, who people may know as young Ned Stark from Game of Thrones. Oh. Uh, Waldrig was Jeff Morrill. 
Malva. Okay, we're getting into the deep. Did you do the... Isildur is in, played by Maxim Baldry. Of course he is. Um, Did I'm you do looking, the dwarfs yet? I don't even know. <laughs> Adar is played by Joseph Moll, who was also in Game of Thrones as the Stark brother, Benjen. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Lord Celebrimbor, important name yep. for people who know. You know. It's Charles Edwards. Ariaren, Isildur's sister, is played by Emma Horvath. Oh, here we go. The dwarves. Prince Durin the Fourth is played by Owain Arthur. Wonderfully. I don't know if I've said his father's name yet, but King Durin the Third is played by Peter Mullen. You say his wife's name? I'm looking. I'm going all out of order now. There's so many. Princess Disa was played by Sophia Namvete. Was that his wife? Yeah. All right. I think. Oh, wait a minute. High King Gilgalad was played by Benjamin Walker. Most commonly, I mean, most celebrated as uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh. I mean, the, the, the list of names goes on and on. I yeah. think that's everybody from the Yeah, main. I think that's a lot of the, the main ones. That's a lot of them. Uh, can you quickly tell us who... Everybody's falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I should those, just read for, bedtime stories. For those stories. of you that are still listening, <laughs> who uh, were the EPs or the executive producers of this show? And, and uh, we'll talk about one of the directors in a second. Well, Stephen, it's another long list. They have over 20 producers nope, for this show. No, just the executive producers. Okay. There should be two of them. All right. Well, there's more than two, Stephen. Executive producers include, but are not limited to, J.A. Bayona. That's not the one I was thinking. Blaine Atienza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the ones you're probably look, looking for. Yeah. Patrick McKay yeah. and John D. Payne, a.k.a. the two showrunners, which is go. probably the word you were looking for. Well, there's a lot of executive producers. Executive producers. There's, yeah. In fact, all the producers for this show are executively producing this and show. And showrunners usually go hand in hand. But in this case, there's other executive producers These are the well. two dudes who basically came up with the story, right? Yeah. And let's talk about that. I guess if you don't know what Lord of the Rings is, it's a little bit difficult to explain. Allie, do you want to talk about what Lord of the Rings is? <laughs> Written by... Uh, J.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about his life. Yeah, let's talk about J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, he moved over from, I think it was South Africa, um, to England when he was a boy. Um, his father died, and then his mother died as a child. Um, not at the same time, but over a course of time and then he was uh, taken in by a priest i believe and he went to a very established uh school um, as in his teen years and then went on to oxford he wrote uh the hobbit after telling his four children's stories like bedtime stories and um, that evolved to the lord of the rings and i believe the you know the the book that this series is based off called the, I was... Cimmerillion? Cimmerillion. Cimmerillion. Um, how do you say it? Cimmerillion. Sil? Sil? Marillion. Malaria? Marillion. Malaria? No. Sil? Maril? Marill? Leon. Leon. Okay. <laughs> it's a toughie. Anyways, he started that but never finished it before his death. And I believe his son, son yeah. did finish it. Yeah. However, because Tolkien himself did not finish it, there has been a lot of creative liberty. It's more like 
from my understanding, more almost like a guideline of origins as opposed to a very in-depth characterization of different figures. Um, And so the show took advantage of that in a good way, in my opinion, of kind of elaborating on that and bringing um, characters to life as well as adding new characters. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool because his son, who who was told these bedtime stories from his father growing up, you know, became a kind of, you know, author in his own right and finished his father's work. So he, he was well acquainted with the stories and the lore and the, the uh, fictional work of that his father created and took it upon himself to finish a Silmarillion. I think that's really cool. The other thing is that, like Ali just said, there's a lot of creative liberty, but the book was written to be, to, to kind of mimic the, the book of Genesis in the Bible, which J.R.R. Tolkien kind of used as a rough template for writing the Silmarillion. And it's intentionally ambiguous, yet precise in its information Mm-hmm. At the same time, Sim- similarly to how the book of Genesis is, mm-hmm. it's like God said, let there be light, you know, and there's, there's a God kind of head figure in the Lord of the Rings universe named, uh, Iluvatar. And he also sings the world into existence. And there's this, it doesn't show you how it doesn't talk about, you know, the extravagance behind that, like the Lord of the Rings book, go into great detail and talk about those details. The Silmarillion just leaves it kind of open-ended. And so the rings of power is based on the second age after the, the Genesis and the creation of middle earth and its surrounding kind of lands, etc. After it's been established for a little bit, the creators, kind of came up with a story based on what J.R.R. Tolkien was implying with the Silmarillion. Uh, And that's kind of the best way I can explain it. The other thing that I think they did really well in the show, adapting J.R.R. Tolkien's work in the Silmarillion to, to screen, to live action motion picture, I think they, they did a good job interpreting a lot of the ambiguity and and playing off of the the themes that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote very heavily into his works. And those themes are often and not strictly adhered to, but but very much the combatants between light and dark. And you get that very contrasty confluence of of theme thematic like energy fighting each other mm-hmm. everywhere you go throughout the whole show. And it was that way in Peter Jackson's films in the early 2000s. It was that way in the Hobbit films that everybody loves so much. And it, and it continues that way here. And it's, it's all the way down. It's from the writing and the dialogue between the characters all the way to the cinematography and the look and feeling of the, of the show. Yeah. And that's kind of the best way I think I could explain it. And we can use that kind of as a springboard for, for more if you guys want to keep talking. Well, to add to your point, I was going to say in terms of the... Uh accuracy and authenticity of this adaptation sure, of sure, sure. what is really just a historical accounting of Middle Earth yeah. at the time. I think Payne and McKay as showrunners and storytellers were uh, most concerned with, like you said, being true to theme and emotion and those broad strokes rather than uh, timeline and like 
the the nitty gritty details on that because they have taken a lot of liberties with this um, narrative in terms of like kind of when things were happening and who exactly was there and like when. Gan- like Gandalf's arrival, that kind of thing. Yeah, and for instance, there are um, entirely original characters in the Rings of Power. Right. Hallbrand, played by Charlie Vickers, is a character that I don't think I don't think was really represented in the Cimmerillion. So, but I will give it credit. I mean, this is a pretty uh, polarizing, I think, show. But I will give it a lot of credit. I believe, as a more casual Tolkien fan, that Payne and McKay were pretty true to the spirit of what Tolkien was trying to achieve, and the um, I don't know the pathos or the uh, the emotional core of it, and kind of also that enchanting quality, which is the first thing that that drew me in when I started watching the show, and was I think the most important thing was that. There's such a magic, I think, to this show, regardless of how you feel about the interpretation of the details, mm-hmm. that there is a, there's an enchanting quality to this show that you might find in other things like Spielberg or whatnot, but it's one of those things that was in Lord of the Rings from the beginning, uh, you know, as he was, I'm sure, reading it to his son at bedtime. Right. Yeah. The as, whimsy. as a mythology. Yeah. Yeah. The whimsy and the wonder and the... Yeah, the whimsy. Exactly. These kind of this exploration of of what he would consider objective truth. And I don't know if you want to go into like the story beats, Stephen, but um, as a whole, as a macro sense, um, you know, despite not being a perfect show, I think it was a a pretty good, pretty good show. <laughs> like the writing, um, for some people, may leave some things to be desired. You know. I've, and See, it's I, worth people it's, say. Well, it's worth noting on yeah. that point that Payne and McKay are first-time showrunners. They've never really developed a series of this magnitude, and not just because it's the most expensive show ever made, but yeah, they they produce or they approached. I think Tolkien's estate. I don't know if it's his son or his grandson, whoever's running it these days. Uh, but they approached it with the idea, and the estate said, "This is kind of the story we wanted to tell." So that's why they gave them the ability to make the show. So. It has the blessing of everybody in charge, you know, not just uh, Jeffrey Bezos, who is funding this thing. Well, people, I mean, one of the main things I've heard as a as a uh, disqualifying note to why the show is not good and people don't like it is because of the dialogue is bad. But I think the dialogue is extremely good. I, I, I never once thought like, wow, this is cheesy or bad or anything. And I think, I mean, it, to me, it's polarizing in the sense of like, it's really showing me who I agree with and who I don't agree with as (laughs) not just, not just as like creative opinions, but just like, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this person's opinion anymore. Cause I really think like, like I was saying earlier, the show's themes of light versus dark and, and the way that they write those lines of dialogue into the script it's not on the nose, but it's very real and it feels very like, you know, granular and palpable for the characters. And I, I'm just like, I'm blown away by people's criticisms of them saying that the show is poorly written. I think that they're entirely incorrect (laughs) and, and it really does blow my mind. I, 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 it's kind of upsetting to me because I think it's so well-written yeah. It's shocking when somebody's like, it's so poorly written. I'm like, you guys, you're crazy. I think there's a lot of reasons why that is uh, for different people. And maybe some of that is expectations. But at least for me, I would say that there is like, 
the writing, specifically the dialogue, the way the dialogue is written in this show, it's much more poetic than I feel naturalistic at times. And I think, but right. I think that's to its credit. And I think that's what it should be because this isn't something like Game of Thrones, which is very uh, extremely grounded, uh, you know, even for its setting. And I think that's, I think, like I said, I think that's to its credit and I don't hold it against it. And so when you get lines, like there are, there are great pull away lines from the show that I think people will take to exemplify their opinion on why they think it's really bad. Um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. And you can't. Like, for instance, for there's instance, not one. Well, no, there are, there are every, every episode has um, lines that I could recognize as lines that people who are very critical of the show will say, this is the line that is poorly written. For okay. instance, okay. I think it was in the finale where the stranger says... Well, I, I don't want to spoil anything. Are we in spoiler territory? We can go spoilers from here. I, I'll leave it at this. It doesn't spoil too much if you don't have the context. But the, spo- the, <laughs> the stranger says a line that is like, I am good. And it's a line that um, I think pulled out of context. Or if you're using it to kind of like draw a clickbait headline, <laughs> people will say this is a poorly written line. Or a lot of Gladriel's lines, too. They run yeah, very people, poetic. People really shit on Gladriel. Uh, yeah, or her acting as well. There's different ways mm, people critique the show. But I think, I think, in my opinion, it works in the show's credit because this is supposed to be this kind of elevated high fantasy. Right, um, yeah. This vibe and the setting that I think it's. I think it works. She's, she's like, she embodies, you know, light beauty grace like you know badassery that whole thing she and she she spews it out of her mouth everything that she says is very like yeah and Payne and McKay entrancing I think they brought to us a Gladriel that a lot of people weren't expecting right uh I not to compare it too heavily but like for instance the Luke Skywalker we got and the last Jedi was he was at a different point in his life Mm. than what people may have wanted to see right and a lot of people thought Gladriel would be like a little more farther, the, close, the closer el- to like the elf we know as Kate Blanchett. Yeah, the elegant kind uh-huh. of, yeah. Very um, composed. Yeah. Whereas this is the young, hot Gladriel who is still, <laughs> I mean, not hot, like um, spicy, attractive, but she is attractive. I yeah. meant hot like she runs hot. She's very hot tempered. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But yeah. she, um, <laughs> even though she's thousands of years old, she's still kind of in that part of her life where she is uh, figuring things out. Yeah, becoming who she is right. in, in her later life, which is that person we know. So, My personal opinion of the show is, um, even though I have not extensively read all of Tolkien's fiction, I have read um, some of his nonfiction. In particular, he has an essay called On Fairy Tales, or it's on... His essay is called On Fairy Stories. And... That essay has really influenced me in the way I look at fantasy or in the way that I look at these types of stories that we're seeing specifically like with this show or even you could say like a Marvel film, Um, obviously very different than this film, but typically like in a Marvel film, you have the good versus the evil. Mm Mm-hmm. And what Tolkien does so well, as Stephen pointed out, was bringing in the theme of like the the dark and the light. And he uses that binary in his work in the show, and the show did the same thing, in my opinion, in a really refreshing way. Because oftentimes there's almost so much nuance in shows, or there's almost this like hesitancy to have any sort of like strong stance of like 
naming good and evil. And it's so obvious that in the show there's there's evil characters and evil is like a force within this world that's growing and um you see it with sauron um and it was refreshing to me because i feel like we need these stories we need these stories of like good and evil because Mm -hmm. it reminds us of what is good and what is true and what is noble and you have these characters so any scene where arundir is that who say it arundir um is like fighting where he's like fighting the orcs (laughs) like i said i'm not super educated with with the lord of the rings but when he's it just is so like powerful and moving you're seeing like this strength and you know his drive is to protect and to move forward towards goodness and what he knows to be true. Um, And I pulled up this quote from that essay that I brought up where Tolkien says, the realm of fairy story is wide and deep and high and filled with many things. All manner of beasts and birds are found there, shoreless seas and stars and counted, beauty that is an enchantment and an ever-present peril, both joy and sorrow as sharp as swords. And that last line was just like, oh, that's so good. And that's so much what this show brought forth for me was like he's using, he's showing the destruction of choosing an evil path or or you can use various different names for that, whether it be pride or power or this allegiance to darkness um, versus choosing like the path of light or what he uses Mm -hmm. joy for that word. Um, C.S. Lewis uses that word a lot and they were very influenced by each other. But yeah, this idea of joy beyond the walls of the world. He says that again, joy beyond the walls of the world, but as poignant as grief. So anyways, long story short, he explores these themes um, through the, the medium of fairy tale and I think in our current culture, having this show was spe- like it just felt special, and it felt yeah. um, it felt needed. Even if there's, I know there's a lot of like mixed feelings about um, people who like have specific opinions about where it needed to go. For me, as someone maybe not as emotionally attached to the store, the Lord of the Rings, it felt like refreshing and powerful and but still had like a good amount of nuance where the characters weren't like two dimensional where it was just like good and evil like like Galadriel herself she you see the things that she, she's struggling with like mm-hmm. these feelings of revenge and what is going too far and when should she hold back and yeah, yeah it explored i think her character really interestingly yeah themes of heroism and triumphing over darkness and evil i think no one really does it better or more perfectly than Tolkien. And mm-hmm. and he did really it's it's I think it's really cool that you say how this was like a story that was needed now for how like dark and muddy like society is as it is cuz he informed like the genre he he wrote the book on fantasy for his time, you know, coming yeah, out of post World War 2. Yeah, the mid 20th century, the modern fantasy everyone pulls from Tolkien, mm-hmm. you know. And so to have it like renewed today even 20 years after what peter jackson did i think i would totally agree with you that it's it's perfect for its time now just Mm -hmm. as much as it was then 
I also think it, in my opinion, it's perfect for it adhering to the quality of what Peter Jackson did 20 years ago and, and the quality of, I, I would think like what J.R. Tolkien's intention, uh, is or was in writing his material in the first place. And, and it, it captures that. And I think it's really beautiful. Like I, I, it's, and I think not only is it beautiful, but it's, it's one of the most quality productions in, in television we've ever had. And I, we can say that because it's the most expensive show ever made, but it's evident in every frame that you're watching. And, and I think the storytelling is so top notch and the imagery and the uh, expression of the themes are, are so top notch that it's just impossible in my opinion to say anything other than, you know, just to, just like expressing its, its magnitude and its beauty. Like I, f- I feel like anyone who watches the show should be running around like a chicken with their head cut off, just, sh- just shouting like, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, cause it's just so good. Like I, there's nothing else I could say, you know, besides exclaiming its excellence. Yeah, to bring it to a couple other finer points. One, we kind of touched on its uh, its aesthetic, but the visual effects, like 99.9% of the time in this show, were extraordinary. And I think it was totally worth the hundreds of millions of dollars that they poured into the production. Right. And I'm very excited to see where it continues to go in the future. Also, uh, I just wanted to... One more point of uh, something that I just saw again in my notes that I took from the first episode even, which is where I took most of my notes from because that was where everything was kind of like happening for the first time, was tonally, this show I think was perfect and just to to kind of expand on that a little bit more because we've already touched on like the writing and all that stuff. Tonally, we have a lot of stuff that is very, and this may be just for me, but I'm, I'm kind of fatigued on... Marvel tone and mm-hmm. not just because of Marvel but because of Marvel's success it's spread into so many other things mm. especially blockbusters like Star Wars I think is very Marvelified you know mm. Aquaman not maybe that's just because Disney owns everything but mm-hmm. DC. yeah DC everything is informed by Marvel's success these days and Lord of the Rings the tone of the show or sorry Rings of Power it felt like it had this singular voice and identity and tone in that it was taking itself seriously, but there were still moments of levity and humor that right. landed really well. Mm-hmm. And I think I that's my favorite thing. If I had to pick one thing about this show, it's there are moments in and out of the writing where it knows itself, it knows what it's trying to do so well that it doesn't have to rely on these overbearing jokes. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the self-aware kind of meta humor. Mm-hmm. Explosions. And yeah, like, what are we, some kind of Suicide Squad moments? There's never that moment. It's mm-hmm. always, it's taking itself just the right amount of seriously. Yeah. And I think that that harks back to like, you know, what um, Ali said about yeah. um, what it's trying to accomplish and it's how it's trying to inspire people. And I don't know, mm-hmm. it worked on me. So I, I appreciate that when a show is treading the line between uh, seriousness and levity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it nailed that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. We we need those those stories. Yeah. And an uplifting message. As much as I enjoy like the the gritty like Game of Thrones. Sure. Like every other episode has a traumatic birth experience, <laughs> as we'll talk about in our next episode. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think the Lord of the Rings supplements it perfectly, and I'm so glad we got both in current year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, though, if Game of Thrones wasn't happening, I'd still be just as stoked on this, and I want, yeah. that, I want that to be known. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's our quick summary of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We're very excited, I think, for another season. They've already, we should also say they have five seasons planned in total. Uh-huh. So, and, and we know they're already shooting the second season currently. So, a billion dollar adventure. <laughs> I mean, lands unseen. it's just one, it's just a drop in the bucket for Jeffrey, Mr. Senor Bezos. <laughs> Senor Bezos. Jeffrey Bezos. Here, Jeffrey Bezos. That's you did it. We should end the episode on that. Yeah, right. Oh, that's fine. I'll, I love that song. Oh, we could play Howard Shore's. Was it Howard Shore? He did the theme. He didn't do the music for the whole show, but he did the theme for the opening. Yeah, that theme in the opening is amazing. I don't know whether to choose Bo Burnham or that theme. I really so. like the music in the show. What it didn't, yeah. it, it really uh, harped on the same theme a lot per character or per beat, but I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it was like cool to have that, those, those few melodies like coming back in and out throughout the whole, mm-hmm. what was it? Eight episodes. Yeah. I yeah. also love the, the concise of the season. Like it, it wasn't inflated. It wasn't even mm-hmm. 10 episodes it's like Game right. of Thrones. It was it's yeah. like, yeah, I could do five seasons of eight episodes. It's, a lot of people complain about the pacing even still. Whatever. There are, there are slower moments, but I feel like everything is character oh, building. Yeah. I did want to say. One more thing, and this is huge spoilers, but obviously in the end, in the last episode, we, we find out Halbrand was actually Sauron. <gasps> and the creators of the show talked about how J.R.R. Tolkien wrote in The Silmarillion mm. that every time it mentions Sauron, it mentions him as repentant and ashamed. Hmm. And every time they talk about him, and everything that he does out of motivation, it says out of fear. He does everything he does out of fear. He's re- repentant and ashamed out of fear. Wow. And he said, well, they, they talked about how that's the Sauron that they're trying to write. And that's why he almost seems good. And that, mm-hmm. that he is repentant and ashamed of his actions. And it's all out of fear of, of Morgoth and like, you know, the, the, lar- the larger death. Mm. Even though Morgoth's supposed to be dead, I guess until like even after the Lord of the Rings, he comes back or something. But um, I loved that that you know that's the interpretation. So so that's like a great example of what we're talking about. Like the interpretation of the character directly from the Silmarillion is creating a character uh, that is Sauron hiding, and he's ashamed and repentant, and potentially maybe trying to to to, to do right by his actions and and he has even convinced who's supposed to be one of the pure most wonderful characters in in the universe in middle earth gladriel he's almost convinced her of his goodness mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. almost forgiven him for his actions despite of his previous you know his uh evil and mm. and uh evil works so I think that that's really interesting. They took that, that that's the kind of Liberty, you know, that they're taking here based off of, you know, a couple of words. It's barely even a sentence. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but I think then they, they went on to say that the reason, the reason he still runs away and is, 
is, is because essentially he's still at the core is an evil being mm. and he's going to continue to be an evil being despite, you know, him believing that even if he turned for the better, a repentant, it would still look like him ruling the world. And, and when he offers his hand to Galadriel to rule by his side, it's not like, oh, we're going to rule as a benevolent king and queen. It's it's like, no, we're going to rule the world because we're owed it and it's all self-serving. So mm-hmm. they they wanted that to also come through uh, in the character of Sauron or, or Halbrand. And mm-hmm. I think they really nailed that. So anyway, that's one thing I wanted to say. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I just wanted to add, like, I think that's what, that's what gives the world depth too because you have the orcs who are like, a, a physical representation of what is ugly mm. and evil and dark in the world. And then you have Sauron, Sauron. Uh, who we meet as an attractive man who, who we, well, he's, you find him attractive. Do you find me attractive? Charlie Vickers is hot. He's an attractive man. He's, he's uh, like a, is he more attractive than me? Honey, <laughs> you, yes. you no. know, you know what I'm Gabe. saying? No, <laughs> I'm joking. Anyways, Listen. he, you have, you have. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I'm gonna lose my train of thought. No, um, it's it's, of something else. it's the contrast of the ugly and the beauty both being evil. Or yeah, like Lucifer. Obviously, there's so many biblical comparisons, but that one scene with those creatures, like almost like angelic type creatures, who are like oh the witches, the witches. Oh yeah. They're also beautiful, right? They're like attractive people. They're not. They're not the orc. You know what I mean? They're not the orcs. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I like how the show and perhaps Tolkien shows that the whole idea of, like, you cannot... Right. Looks cannot be perceived. That was Halbron's first line in the show, was looks can be deceiving. Oh, well, thank you. Looks can be deceiving. There you go. Um, And so it was nice. Yeah. His, His motivations and his backstory are fascinating. And I think that Payne and McKay both said... They're going to really dive into that for season two in the way that they explored Galadriel here. So I'm very excited to see more of Charlie Vickers, Hollibrand slash Sauron flesh that out because it is uh, something that struck me. I've never even considered that Hollibrand or that, sorry, Sauron would have complex motivations and potentially see himself in his own story as a hero. Right. Because mm. in Lord of the Rings, he was like the perfect evil enemy. He yeah, was just like black evil. and white. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a force of nature. He's yeah. not a character. Yeah. 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 So I can't wait to see him, um, more of him. Yeah. More complex. <laughs> in probably two years. It'll probably be a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and here's a song. Bo Burnham. Or Jeffrey the thing. Bezos. 